Podcast with your hosts Gene Steinberg and David Pietri. The Physical Trace Fellow, Ted Phillips of the Center for Physical Trace Research is joining us to talk about lots of new developments. You know, what we're talking about here is a UFO leaving something on the ground, some evidence of its presence. So those people like Magaha can't say it's all an illusion, it's all because you're drunk or something. They can't do that kind of stuff. And that's why we have people like Ted, who has dedicated a large portion of his life to finding out what's going on. Now, one of the cases that has occupied a lot of your attention, maybe we can start with a background of it and then get into the current events so those who didn't hear the first appearance you made on the show can get up to speed. Marley Woods, a lot of stuff you've done about the Marley Woods activities. Tell us what the background of this case is. Okay, the uh, the Marley Woods represents something very, very new for me in that all those years I spent uh, as a uh, strictly nuts and bolts guy believing that these objects were constructed somewhere by someone and uh, that they were indeed uh, strictly physical and uh, with mass and so on. And uh, Marley Woods, I was, I was called by the property owner, one of the property owners there, in December of 1998 and uh, asked to uh, come down and investigate some events that had just taken place. and uh, But very much on the quiet, no names, no location or anything like that. And uh, because these people obviously didn't want to be overran by uh, excited folks wanting to see some of this. And uh, so I promised that, went down, and I found myself really for the first time in an area of repeat events, which was something I really, truly didn't believe in for 40 years. Uh, okay, an object is seen, perhaps it comes back one time, but not over and over and over again. But as I talked to more and more of the witnesses there, and uh, after several months, I actually was able to see and photograph some of the uh, the types of things going on, uh, I, I began a sort of long-term conversion process. And uh, so today, based on what I've seen, based on the facts, uh, I'm coming around to the point where I'm believing that, indeed, what we call UFOs, uh, especially in this particular uh, area, types of cases, are indeed physical objects in some sense. And at some points in time, I think perhaps there is an ability to change all that drastically. And um, that perhaps some of the objects seen in that area and in many others around the world, uh, the small light balls ranging from baseball to basketball size, and uh, there is some indication that these might be a... Uh, uh, biomechanical device, perhaps in some cases a, uh, a biological entity of some sort. So I, Marley has really uh, uh, turned my thinking around, and that's not based on beliefs. It's based on the facts, the data that uh, we pull out of there. Right now we have uh, 613 cases in an area 
measuring about a, a mile and a half north to south and about uh, slightly over a mile east to west. So it's not a huge area. It's very remote. And uh, one of our big problems we've encountered lately, of course, is no Internet. And uh, even in places I have a lot of problem uh, uh, getting BlackBerry connection. And uh, so there are a lot of things that we want to uh, send back, such as streaming video 20 or uh, uh, all night, every night of the week, uh, to the website. So anyone that, uh, you know, if you think, okay, this is a bunch of bull, these guys are faking it, making it up, whatever, uh, we have four dedicated CCD units, very high-tech instruments, covering the entire area around Site 1. Where is this located? Yeah. What city, state, country? Yeah, I can't even tell you the state. Uh, I can tell you it's in the uh, uh, central United States. Okay. And it's uh, a little over an eight-hour drive from where I live, which is Branson, Missouri. Let me ask you a fast question before you go into more mm -hmm. details. Okay. Mm -hmm. Now, it's out of the way, so therefore there's no Internet access. Now, mm -hmm. if you have clear view to a satellite, though, there is satellite Internet. It costs a fair amount of money. But there is right. such a thing as satellite Internet, so if you can get a clear view to wherever in the sky the Internet satellites are located, that might be an alternative. Yeah, exactly, and we have checked on that, and uh, it is available. The only problem is the cost. And, um, uh, of course, we're operating strictly on a donation basis, and uh, there's no funding from any entity anywhere. And uh, or non-entity, I couldn't care less. But uh, <laughs> at least you don't discriminate. That's very important. <laughs> absolutely, that, absolutely. Exactly. <laughs> uh, and they don't have to have just two legs. I don't really care. But you mean even six the, or twelve? It doesn't matter. Sure. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And what about yeah. invisible beings? They can be invisible too, right? Uh, if they can physically get money to us, yes. You know what, David? I think is thinking that I'm completely wacko right now, and I agree. But no, I, I get your point. It costs probably sixty or seventy dollars a month, plus a horrendous installation setup fee for this internet mm -hmm. service. You know, mm -hmm. a lot of times they ask several hundred dollars to buy the receivers, transceivers, and all this other stuff. You have to have some place for constant electric power to keep this going. There's a cabin maybe with electricity, so you have that oh, yeah. particular bill. So it's mm -hmm. not. A trivial thing to do. All right, so let's continue with the description setting up this Marley Wood. So all this stuff is going on, and the only reason I kind of felt like stopping a little bit when you mentioned the possibility of UFOs being some sort of living creature, didn't the late Ivan Sanderson say something like that too? Yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah, and uh, of course I totally discounted it back at that time, and uh, because what I was seeing back in those years were large metal-appearing objects landing and leaving behind uh, uh, landing pad marks indicating the weight of the object at uh, anywhere from 8 to 14 tons. So that's not, you know, a nightmare or a vision. That's a real physically massive object. And um, uh, along with all the other types of traces we find, uh, burnt uh, plants and dehydrated plants and so on. But we're going, I am totally convinced, in looking back at the uh, 3,000 and I think 300 and some odd cases of landings with traces 
from 92 countries that I have. Looking back at all that data, you can quickly statistically see that this this huge sway has started from the good old classic flying saucer, 30 feet in diameter landing, and little guys getting out and doing whatever they do, to the current thing, the current phase, which are the small light balls. And in some cases, not so small light balls, but uh, predominantly small lights. And um, they also leave uh, physical residue, uh, not as large and drastic as the old classic saucers. But nevertheless, there's nothing we can do about it. It has changed. And very, very infrequently do... Uh, do we see reports like the classic old stuff of the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s even? So that all has changed. And so we have to have to start looking at this in a much different way, or at least I do. There are, I'm sure, a lot of folks that still look at it the old way. But when things change, you have to change with them. <laughs> you know. so Ted. Let me, let me ask you a question. Now, in, in reading about UFO cases that go back to the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, we do hear reports. I mean, we, we do see reports of these light anomalies. So, I mean, that was happening. And, uh, like, looking at the case of Marley Woods, where you've got this situation where you've got these light balls appearing and, and other kinds of things, and we'll talk about that in a moment. But when you say that the, the phenomenon has has taken on a different twist. Are, are we saying this in terms of uh, a specific interest to localized regions, or do you feel comfortable making that statement as far as a, uh, a global phenomenon? Because I know that, for example, in the last year, there's been a tremendous amount of activity out of South America. Argentina is in the grips of what definitely appears to be a wave of UFO activity, and a lot of it is indeed metallic craft. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So... Let's talk a little bit about how you're, you're, on what information you're basing the statement you made just a few moments ago. Right. Well, as you know, up until uh, oh, the last couple of years, really, I have concentrated only on landing cases with physical evidence. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that greatly uh, eliminates a lot of the, uh, the sightings outside that because uh, – South America has always been way replete with activity and right. some of the weirdest, weirdest stuff that uh, has ever been reported. And uh, the interesting thing is, and I'm starting to see some of that weirdness at Marley and very similar things to the Skinwalker Ranch, and uh, that's a little disturbing in a way, but uh, as a researcher, it's also quite exciting. But uh, I do say that globally, Base now again. You have to remember landings with physical traces, and right. uh, and I have some pretty considerable uh, restrictions to what physical traces, uh, validated physical traces are. And for example, they don't include crop circles. They don't include any case in which an odd area is found but no object is seen generating it, because you can't connect the two unless you have witnesses saying it happened that way. Right. And if the, uh, if the resulting residue then defies analysis as anything natural, uh, then you have a really solid physical trace landing case. Mm-hmm. And what I'm simply seeing is 
the numbers have gone down so dramatically in my files, which I continue the trace work, but uh, it's reached a point where if that's what I, the only thing I was doing, I wouldn't have very much to do at all. And uh, there were days in the 60s, 70s, and 80s that we didn't, couldn't begin to cover all of the trace landings that were taking place. And that's not happening today. Now, they, you get a lot of cases where, uh, especially, well, I don't want to say that, but South American cases where you have so-and-so report, I saw an object the size of five football fields, and there were little people running all over, and uh, maybe they'll find a hole or something in that area. And that's not a good, strong case. And uh, so we can't just lump everything into the bucket right. and uh, and say, you know, we're in a massive wave, at least not in the way that I look at waves. And uh, because I've seen too many cases that sounded tremendously good, totally fall apart under really critical investigation. Mm-hmm. And I've always uh, maintained that wherever the cards fall, the way I look at an investigation uh, is what you have. That's the hand you've got. And if it turns out after a thorough investigation to be a hoax uh, or a misperception of something uh, natural, then that's the way it is. On the other hand, if it turns out to be by analysis and investigation a real event of something that remains unexplained after a thorough study, then you've got as far as we can uh, judge, a real thing. And there are always, you know, nagging questions even in uh, in those cases. So we have to be very careful uh, when we see a lot of reports coming out of an area such as South America of these uh, very odd uh, cases. And and I've always I've always had that feeling much stronger than I do now because I see personally and the team has seen, it's not just I, thank God, things that are happening that just flat should not be happening. Hey, neighbors, the easiest online meeting service, GoToMeeting, just got easier. If you haven't tried GoToMeeting, now's the time, because the new version of GoToMeeting has fully integrated voice over IP. With this new total audio feature, you have more audio options by being able to conference through a phone or the web, save time, save money, and be more efficient. Hold an online meeting with GoToMeeting. Try GoToMeeting free for 30 days. Visit GoToMeeting.com slash podcasts. That's GoToMeeting.com slash podcasts for a free trial. Gene and I love to hear from our listeners. If you'd like to share your thoughts with us, send your messages to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to check out our website at theparacast.com where you can download past episodes of the show for free and visit our dynamic discussion forums. Also, please patronize our sponsors. Tell them that you heard their ads on the Paracast. They'll appreciate it, and we will too. Hi, this is Bud Hopkins, and you're listening to The Paracast with Gene Steinberg, David Gedney, and I completely, enthusiastically endorse this program. It's an absolutely great program with an opportunity to stretch out and talk. 
We're talking to Ted Phillips. He is the trace guy, <laughs> and he looks for physical traces of UFOs. He works with the Center for Physical Trace Research. I had a fast question before mm-hmm. we pick up on David's train of thought. How far back have these strange events at Marley Woods been traced to? Speaking of the pun of tracing. Uh-huh. Uh, 1937. That's as far back as we've been able to go so far with a living witness that can, or witnesses that can affirm that, uh, that it's true. And, uh, I have a feeling that uh, it probably goes back beyond that. And, uh, in those days, they had, of course, very simplistic, uh, I mean, you have view of what's going on because you have, uh, farmers, ranchers, and I don't mean that in a demeaning way at all. They're the best witnesses you can have, really. They see this stuff in 1937 and the 1940s, and uh, they don't think like we do now, oh, it must be military. Uh, they think in terms of uh, swamp gas and things along that line. And um, because UFOs were unheard of in those days, but we we have found some really interesting cases back in the middle of Marley Woods uh, from 1937 on up. And then we found a couple of satellite areas outside of Marley where the uh, rancher and his family confirmed that they would sit around on their uh, farm and watch the big orange lights uh, and the small white lights frolicking in their fields in the 1940s, 50s, 60s. And it's still going on. So that's quite a while. All right. Here's a question, Ted. Um, let's let's go scientific here, just for argument's sake. There's been this ongoing series of reports of uh, relatively small uh, amber uh, and white light bulbs. Or is it just amber? What's the color range here? Well, the uh, the ambers are something entirely different from uh, uh, the light bulbs. The ambers are okay. very large, orange-yellow, and it's the the oddest shade of that color that you can ever imagine. I, I've tried to duplicate it on the computer, and uh, I can't even get close to it. I've never seen a color like it. And uh, these things are, are much, much larger. I had the opportunity to see five of them in daylight uh, at Site 1, and the property owner and I were there, and thank God, three guys drove up in a pickup telling us they were watching them. But the first three appeared in a horizontal row, followed by a fourth in the eastern sky, and then by it, a fifth object. The fifth object was by far the closest. And uh, uh, I'm telling you, the, it's incredible to stand there and look at these things in daylight. No smoke, no parachutes, no wings, no airplane behind them or anything else. Just this oval, vertically oval object with totally no sound. And at this location, you could hear a pin drop a long way off. No motion whatsoever. And my impression in looking at it around the outside edge of this thing, starting at the top on the right side, you come down the uh, oval side, around the base, back up the left side, and the line ends. And that was a band of the weirdest purple light I've ever seen. And the top portion of this oval was open and the amber color. 
And for a nuts and bolts guy to stand there with the idea going through his mind, the minute and 37 seconds that we watched these, the thought that something was going to come out of or through that object. Hmm. And that's the only thing I could tab it with was uh, a portal or, God help me, I never thought I'd even use the word, but uh, that's all I could tack on to it. Well, that does indeed sound familiar to uh, one of the descriptions I remember reading in the book uh, about the Skinwalker Ranch case. You're kind of, you're you're close to that, you're close to that neighborhood. Now, um, question for you. You saw this thing, you said it wasn't moving? Right. How did you see it manifest? How did it manifest itself? The things come on, uh, the easiest way and the most accurate way to describe the appearance is when you uh, uh, open an old leaf shutter on a camera. It opens up to whatever aperture you have it set at. Mm-hmm. And then when the event's over, it closes into itself that same way. That's the best, most accurate way I can describe that. It's kind of like an iris up, iris down, iris in, iris mm-hmm. out. Yeah. When this yeah. is happening, and so you saw this happen, did you have any sense of whatever this was having awareness of your presence? No, I didn't, I didn't sense anything coming from it at all, but your impression, and I tell you what I didn't say, my impression was, because I could see the, uh, the terrain around it, and knowing that terrain over there quite well, this object was no more than 800 feet away and uh, no more than 1,000 feet above the uh, field. And uh, it appeared to be about 12 feet high, about 8 feet wide. And uh, now that would be impossible to gauge in the dark, but this was daylight. And we had a lot of things uh, around to judge by. But I don't know. I just, the only sense of anything that I had was that something could come through this. Five years before that, I would have never had a thought like that, I'll guarantee you. Right. But this doesn't look like, you hadn't seen anything else like this during the time you spent at the Marley Woods site, correct? Like the Ambers, you mean? No, like this this, this whole construct. Mm-hmm. Well, I, that was the closest sighting I've ever had. I've seen and photographed a lot of the things, uh, the Ambers, but they were a greater distance away. And actually, our team got uh, on three separate units video of seven of the Ambers as it came on, went out, and a couple of great still digital uh, high-resolution photos that shows a very distinct shape and uh, brightness areas and colors and so on. And uh, if anybody knows what could look like this in the sky, I'd like to hear about it. There mm-hmm. are some shots on the website. There's one shot of what appears to be this strong light source with an amber aura around it showing through what looks like some trees. That looks like yes. it's at... Uh, that's not at a high altitude, though, right? No, no, that's on the ground, and it's that's an ground. entirely yeah. different. That's what we uh, that's what we call a light mass, and those also repeat. And in that same area, uh, I first photographed that in November or something of 1999, mm. and then this latest event in the same spot was uh, in December 
So December 2008. Yes. All right. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So there are, you know, quite a number of, uh, of different types of events that take place, and they range uh, from what we've been talking about, light balls to the large ambers to uh, the light mass to the uh, unknown forces uh, that exert a great deal of energy moving things around, knocking people to the ground and knocking down steel gates and all sorts of things. Um, and uh, what, what the property owner calls the North Mystery Light and uh, the South Mystery Light. And these are repeaters. And the very latest sighting uh, from Marley was uh, last night at uh, 6.17. And that was of uh, the North Mystery Light. And if you if you go back to what you were talking about from Skinwalker, uh-huh. um, where the guy would go out, he had a stump, he'd prop his elbow on it and watch through his uh, rifle scope. And uh, he actually could see what looked like uh, another world inside this orange uh, object. Right. And as though it was an open portal of some kind. Well, that's fascinating because uh, there have been 110 sightings uh, since April 11th of 99 of this North Mystery Light. The thing comes on over an area where there is nothing except dense trees, few fields, very high ridges. And it comes on in exactly the same spot. It remains stationary very close to the ground for sometimes three or four minutes. Then it starts to ascend, to climb, it brightens, it sometimes gets extremely bright. And uh, we captured that on four separate units, uh, two nights in a row last uh, November. And uh, uh, it's quite apparent, and I looked at it through a pair of binoculars, and uh, it is a uh, uh, horizontally oval thing that looked just like the vertical amber thing that I saw in daylight, except mm-hmm. on its side. Mm-hmm. And uh, the form is quite apparent. And it has this soft and almost creepy orange, off-orange shading. And uh, this thing has actually climbed uh, all the way from the due north sky all the way over to the eastern sky over an old barn and then snaps out. And uh, sometimes uh, the south mystery light will come up out of the south, hover five minutes, climb, hover three minutes, and so on, make its way over the old east barn, snap out, and at that instant the north light comes on, and it comes up eventually to the same point over the old barn and snaps out. And that's a connection we're, uh, we're trying to study very carefully. And... I've taken some more high mag equipment, imaging equipment over in hopes of getting this mystery light in a, uh, a highly magnified uh, view where we can see if indeed there is anything uh, visible inside that, uh, that mass. But it's tremendously interesting. And Skinwalker, uh, I don't know, I've read it a couple of times and I think my wife has read it to me about five. <laughs> and uh, pretty interesting stuff, especially when you see some of those things happening over at uh, Marley. 
Now, a question for you. You say that you captured on four different devices this this thing on video devices with with yes. triangulation. Mm -hmm. Really? So, has that then helped you uh, having multiple video devices at different locations? Has this assisted you in trying to calculate the size of this thing? Yeah, it has, and the location. And now, here we're talking about the mystery light, North Mystery Light. Correct. We uh, actually, uh, on one of those occasions, by pure luck, I had the transit over there with me, and I had it right in the uh, maw of uh, cameras. And uh, I put the transit on it, centered crosshairs, locked it, and uh, which gave me the uh, the precise bearing of this thing and which was eight degrees off of uh, north and so then using such wonderful things as google earth uh, expert gps and so on you could lay out a line from our camera position uh, right along that eight degree bearing and there is totally not any single light source for uh, 50 miles in that so direction there's no way it was any kind of a reflected light or a no. uh, yeah nothing like that. You you annihilated no. those possibilities. Yeah, and I'll tell you this thing: when it becomes bright, it becomes the most dazzling bright that you have ever seen. And uh, just uh, about three weeks ago, Tom and I and the property owners saw one of the small light balls, which had a bit of a gold tinge to it about 600 feet away down in uh, uh, some sparse trees right in front of the old cabin. And uh, the thing was amazing. And uh, I've not seen but a handful of the light balls. And none of, this was the closest I've seen them. And, uh, I mean, it was just an astonishing thing. You could see it going behind trees. It was very, very small, but the light was super intense. And it has it has that sort of dazzling, you know, when you look at Venus at its brightest, how it has that kind of uh, uh, shimmers. It shimmers. Yeah, shimmers. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely, sure. Yeah, uh, and that's what we were getting with with this little guy trucking along down there. And uh, I mean, it's truly incredible. It is uh, the coolest place on this planet to be. I'll guarantee you. It's interesting you talk about that shimmering light. Uh, a couple of nights ago, I was watching a thing on Nova about these, uh, I think they're called the Humboldt squids. These mm -hmm. uh, really uh, very dangerous squids that apparently can, like, rip. They can they can take a cow down a skeleton in, like, 15, 20 seconds or something. They're, mm. they're these intense beings, and they're these, these you know, they live very deep under uh, under the sea. And um, they their, their primary communications... Mm -hmm mechanism is that their their bodies are bioluminescent and they they shimmer these different colors and and at, at different stroboscopic rates yeah and this one diver had had built this rig that he took down the water with him because apparently you're not supposed to get near these things if you're not like in a shark cage he decided yeah, well, to I take, <laughs> right now he he did him and his cameraman did and they they went down and he had this tube with this light source inside of it, that he could set these uh, uh, different lights inside of it to strobe at different rates. So he goes down the water with this thing, and he turns it on, and one of these humble squid comes up at him, and they're these formidable-looking creatures. And at first, it like it gloms onto the tube, as if it were going to try to like take it or attack it. 
Then it goes away, and it comes, but then it comes back in a, a second time, and he's got this thing strobing. And this squid, which again, the locals are deadly afraid of these things because they're so dangerous. Now this thing is like caressing him. And it's, it, it, yeah, it, it, all of a sudden it becomes completely docile, at, almost as if there was some level of communication uh, uh, created. So this now brings me back to the Marley Woods with these, uh, these light entities. Mm-hmm. So do you get the sense, and, and, so, and, and part of, I guess this is a complicated question, because on your website you have this whole section about the unseen forces, where... Yes. Uh, uh, and and there, there 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 are things that have been uh, you know physical uh, uh, sort of uh, these things are manifesting in a physical way where they're doing property damage. Yes. They're, so uh, do we then also have reports of these things that people are having a, a, being attacked by these forces? You know that the unseen forces, and I say that because uh, the the instance where the couple is knocked to the ground, Uh, obviously unseen because she was sitting in the car at high noon on a beautifully clear day and watches as her husband is knocked to the ground and she sees nothing near him or above him. Mm -hmm. And then she walks up to that point and she has two sharp impacts to the upper and left shoulder, or right shoulder, and she's knocked to the ground. And this lady, let me tell you, uh, it would take some energy to get her on the ground. <laughs> and uh, uh, it's, you know, so that's where the term unseen comes up. And right. and also it's because in the uh, numbers of events, no one has seen what has done, what has knocked down, pushed down two uh, 12-foot steel gates. And that's happened four times uh, on two different ranches. And uh, what has pushed a four-wheel drive truck with no engine locked up and in gear 12 feet down a driveway, a gravel driveway, with the tires digging trenches because they're not turning. And uh, five of us tried to move that truck, and we couldn't move it an inch. And uh, just repeat events like that, you know, it's just... uh, I don't know what we're dealing with there, but uh, we had another, the latest of those events was in uh, October of last year. They don't happen frequently, but they get your attention when they do. Mm. And uh, now the the small light bulbs, as far as any kind of uh, uh, sensing by witnesses of something there uh, other than a light going by, uh, we've had them pass by people uh, within three or four feet at shoulder height. And uh, between two witnesses standing ten feet apart and one of the things flies right between them. And uh, they turn and follow it uh, across the gravel road out into a field, makes a right-angle turn, goes into a, a dense clump of trees and explodes into countless tiny golden-colored lights. Hmm. It's it's pretty difficult to to explain. Now, we had on October 25th a family of four, a lady, her husband, her two sons, age 12 and 20. And uh, they were in the area, and uh, they were kind of uh, picnicking. And all of a sudden they see something coming in uh, to the west, a small light, and the uh, lady had been uh, doing some some videotaping of the of their uh, fun and frolic, 
And uh, so she clicks the thing on, and she captures the entire event, which begins with this single, what appears to be a single light, arcing in, coming in within 100 feet of them, and then it goes through all kinds of maneuvers. It swings like a pendulum. It goes up and down like a yo-yo, which we get a lot, then side to side. Then it makes some curves and circles, and it flies off camera. And uh, about 20 seconds later from the right side, uh, in the view comes what looks like another single white light. And as it arcs around, it splits into two of these lights. And we've got tons of video of the larger white objects splitting into two and some of the small ones. But as they split in two, uh, they just kind of cavort around within 40 feet of these people. There's a total of 15 minutes of video, and uh, the two lights eventually move on uh, to a point about 70 feet away out in a dark wood area, and they're hovering by a, a tree very near the ground. And uh, they've gone back to kind of a single elongated white uh, uh, faint light, and it's moving back and forth there, and they're watching it. And it's uh, really great to listen to them on on the tape because these people were becoming quite afraid. And to make matters even worse, there is a uh, a little oh, kind of a picnic table, heavy wooden picnic table, underneath a metal pole shed. And um, they were quite close to that, and they they started hearing something walking. And the area is backlit from a mercury vapor farm light uh, 600, 700 feet away where they could have seen anything moving and they couldn't see anything. But you can hear it like steps in the gravel on the uh, the uh, audio. And uh, all of a sudden, the uh, 12-year-old outside of this shed is yelling, you know, look at this, look at this. And finally, they back up, and just over the uh, uh, northeast corner of this shed, maybe two or three feet from the shed itself, is the most brilliant red light that I've ever seen. I'll tell you and, what, I have a brilliant light in front of me. It says, you're late <laughs> with your break. See, it says so right here. here. Okay. <laughs> Fate Magazine is proud to be celebrating its 60th anniversary and its 700th issue. That's 60 years of bringing you true reports of the strange and unknown. Keep up with the latest on angels and miracles, psychic phenomena, ghosts, UFOs, life after death, and much, much more. It's bigger and better than ever. Subscribe now by calling 1-800-728-2730 or online at www.fatemag.com. That's 1-800-728-2730 or www.fatemag.com. What are you waiting for? Your fate 
awaits. Hi, this is Roger with eFoodsDirect.com, and I just wanted to welcome everyone from the Paracast Show. Hi to Gene and David and everybody out there. Listen, we're here to sponsor this radio show because we really like what Gene and what Dave are doing, and we'd like you to help us support them. Now, we are a long-term storable food company. However, the foods that we produce are low-moisture foods. They're very, very high quality, and you can live on them every day. You can literally cut your grocery bill in half or more than half, maybe as much as 60%, by buying bulk foods from eFoodsDirect.com. But right now, a recession slash depression is on the way. We're advising people to sell the toys in the garage, hawk off the old jewelry you don't use, pour the money into food supplies before it's too late. I'm telling you, it could be too late. We also can provide water filtration, other needs. Call eFoodsDirect.com and let us continue to support Gene and David here. 800-715-4380, 800-715-4380, or go to eFoodsDirect.com. That's eFoodsDirect.com, 1-800-715-4380. You've entered another dimension. You've entered the Paracast. We're talking to Ted Phillips, the fellow who is presenting us startling information about all the goings-on at Marley Woods. Let us continue, sir. So this, this bright red light, um, this is, you see this in the video, Ted? Yes, yes. And the son took several pictures with his cell phone, generally not good, but these were sharp. I mean, they were great photos. And you can see the uh, roof of the shed and the object and the uh, the nucleus, the center, the core of this thing, looked like a uh, kind of elongated bar of light. And I have never seen red that intense. And the brightness is just totally incredible. The first thing I thought when I saw it was, well, if I get a couple of feet from one of these, I'm not touching it. And because you you had the uh, impression of a tremendous amount of energy, and as uh, the light came out from the center, it formed uh, a somewhat less bright red globe of light. And uh, uh, suddenly, last year, we start for the first time getting reports in Marley of the small red light balls, and uh, uh, this was a perfect example. And now I've got to tell you the bad, the downside of all this. Uh, the lady showed the video to a friend of hers who happened to be a friend of SIU, and she called us and she said, "You got to see this." So finally, after a week, I got them to agree to talk to me. We went back to the same area, and uh, uh, she was showing me the video on her camcorder. The son showed me the uh, shots on his phone camera. And uh, so I said, please, is there any way I could talk you into a copy of this for research? Well, okay, yeah. So she had been shooting after that us in, in the area on night vision and so on. And it wasn't on night vision when she was shooting the lights. And uh, didn't think anything about it. We go up, and I start copying this 15-minute tape. 
And just about at the point where the red thing appears, I see the current date come up on the tape. And she taped over about eight minutes of this tape, which included the red object. And so I absolutely pleaded with her, please get me those cell phone photos. And she said, okay, I will, I promise. And about a week later, she called and she said, my son accidentally erased them. Well, I think very probably what happened was they were getting scared uh, about possibly uh, getting into the public eye. And first of all, they, they wouldn't have the talent to come up with this video. And uh, secondly, uh, I wouldn't doubt their credibility at all. You would have to talk to them to understand how this could happen. I'll put it that way. But uh, it's the most incredible light ball stuff that I've seen. And on the website, I've got a couple of stills I pulled out of the video and enlargements. And you can see that rather than being just a light, these things each represent a circular sort of uh, cloud of some sort of material that's constantly changing color and shape. And it is a, a very flux and uh, dynamic thing that's going on within those. I've pulled hundreds and hundreds of stills out, and the more I look at them, the more intriguing it is. And I put together a frame-by-frame uh, -frame animations enlarged where you can actually see what's going on, and I can't imagine how you would duplicate it. I really can't. Now, most of that content at this point is not on your site, correct? Right, yeah. Right. I told Adam, I said, let's keep the video off of the website and out of the public eye for a little while because I want, not that I doubted these people, but I wanted to really, really check the video closely and pull out everything I could. I didn't want them or a friend to go on a website and say, hey, I saw your video on there. And uh, then, you know, because that's that's exactly their, of course, we would never use their name, certainly not going to use the location, but I couldn't quite really convince them of that. And uh, and I even had several of the local witnesses tell them, you know, really, they've kept all this quiet for over 10 years. You know, he's telling you the truth, but you would just have to personally talk to those four witnesses to, to understand the situation. And... Uh, they're great people, and so on. I think it's important that people realize, and I think certainly reasonable people will realize that while there are many of us who are interested in these topics and will go public about our participation, there are uh, a lot more people that are not comfortable with this and that don't want to be associated with it. And, and I think that's sometimes a hard thing for people who listen to these types of shows that we do and who follow this type of material to really get a, a good understanding of, you know, people want answers. And, and I think a lot of people who are interested in this would say, well, if I saw something, I'd be right on TV saying it. Uh, <laughs> and, and chances are they might not be if they realized what the ramifications of that would be. Uh, along those lines, yeah. I mean, you've kept this area sort of, you're not saying where it is. Is this based on uh, the locals' request that you not do yes. this? Yes, from, they, from the first phone call, yeah. Uh, because they are uh, normal, average people who uh, represent all walks of life, and uh, they don't want 
a bunch of reporters coming down, beating them to death, and then start making fun of all these hick farmers and ranchers and lawyers and on and on and on because they're making what to the media are goofy reports. And they don't want to be subjected to that, and they shouldn't be. They don't want to be like Stephenville, Texas, or Roswell, New Mexico. mm -hmm. Yes, yeah. And can you imagine, with this stuff going on, how many people would flood into that area to try to see it? And, uh, you know, I mean, these are people who have gated and locked ranches, and they have caretakers with guns to be sure people don't come in. Not because of these lights or anything like that, but because they've got uh, hundreds of prized cattle, horses, all kinds of things that could be harmed. And uh, so I respect that. And I, Alan Heineck taught me a long time ago that we have to respect witnesses because they don't have to tell us anything about any of these events. They're doing us a favor. We're certainly not doing them a favor by... Uh, getting the information and uh, putting it out in a way where they can be harmed uh, by hordes of people. And uh, so, I, you know, I've, I've stuck to that. Now, I will use names if a witness says it's absolutely fine, uh, and I tell them, you know, what could happen, and if they're still good with it, okay. But I really would rather, it's much easier to believe 219 witnesses in this area who have never spoken a word publicly because you don't make up this great big lie and keep it to yourself. It just makes no sense. And uh, so, uh, and they don't talk that often among themselves about what they've been seeing. Now, occasionally if there are, you know, just one or two and one of them says, well, you know, have you seen? Yeah, I have seen. You know, and it goes kind of from there. But so we have to handle it carefully. But I am also a believer in, and that's the reason for this website. I believe in getting this stuff to the general public because it's totally ignorant to gather 613 cases and file them away, and no one ever uh, has a chance to to see them or to uh, read about them. You know, it makes no sense. And the more people we can educate along these lines, perhaps the more good cases we'll get. And I firmly believe that, you know. Uh, so, Ted, a question about this. Uh, now, uh, kind of let's step back a larger framework question. Uh, a lot of what you're describing, that there are similarities, though, certainly, and, and we'll talk more about that certainly in the second hour. There are a bunch of similarities about what is being seen here in, in this area and what happened at Skinwalker. Do you know of any other cases anywhere in the world where you've had a similar type of situation to this one? Have you heard mm -hmm. of anything along those lines? There was, uh, there, there was a ranch in uh, Colorado, and uh, one of my favorite people on earth, Leo Sprinkle, investigated that. Hmm. And uh, when Leo says it's yes, and I, I believe it's yes, and uh, uh, but they had a lot of things similar in some ways to Marley, similar in some ways to Skinwalker, and uh, then the, uh, uh, what is it, the uh, Yakima Indian Reservation, 
they've had an ongoing uh, situation for years. I remember Alan talking about some of those cases. He went up there a number of times, and uh, they involved, to a great extent, uh, the small lights. And I shouldn't even say small lights. They're not small lights. They're small spheres. And I don't use the term orb because you know what that brings up. The uh, yeah, the bad photographic that, evidence. That's yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So uh, uh, no, the, these are emanating light. These are eminent. Listen, these are very different than orbs. Um, orbs yes. are ninety nine percent of the time dust specks uh, uh, illuminated yes. by flash. Uh, seen way up uh, close to the camera lens so that they're completely out of focus. And then people will do the little crazy visual Rorschach thing and they'll see faces inside of the... Yeah, it's yeah. just like, whatever. At, at that point, you have to let that go. But no, what you're talking about here, and the photos you've got on your website are things that are emanating light. Mm-hmm. That they are, they, are, they are generating light. Um, that yeah, doesn't look and- reflect anything. They're in darkness half the time. So. Yes, yes, absolutely. And, and let me tell you, this, the uh, light mass thing, is really fresh in my mind because it, it just happened a few weeks ago. Um, it, the thing came on, and we had just watched the North Mystery Light, photographed it. We had just watched a small kind of orangey light bulb down in the trees below us. And then this thing comes on. It was a good night. And uh, so Tom, the property owner, and I are looking, and I've got the video camera going. And uh, this thing would reduce down to being invisible. It was that faint. And uh, now Tom, with the uh, uh, night vision scope, could still see it, but even in that it was very faint. And then it would come up, and there were points where this thing flared up, so tremendously bright uh, that on looking at the uh, the video from the camcorder uh, and not in night vision, uh, it flared up one time to a point where it was intense red and it actually washed out the camera view and we were eight tenths of a mile from this thing. Uh, I can't imagine what would have, would have happened to your eyes if you'd been 20 feet in front of it. But uh, uh, and of course Tom and I, uh, it was visible an hour and 20 minutes, and we beat ourselves to death trying to find a road, a lane, any way into that area. And it is such dense woods. Uh, there's not you couldn't even get an ATV in there because we have access to a couple of those, and. So we were alongside it at one point. The property owner was still back at site one. He was watching the light mass, and he saw our headlights come up about uh, eight, 900 feet to the west of the light mass. And that's where we stopped. We got out, and we tried to spot it. Couldn't see it. So from the side, it was not visible. From the back, it was not visible. And some of these things tend to be like that. They tend to be uh, directional in that you have to be directly in front of them to see it, as though you had a light source inside a pipe, and you well, don't see it from the sides above or below. But, but that brings up a really critical point, Ted. I mean, that when you describe that, and what I'm hearing 
is that this, whatever this is, knows that it has to essentially point at you for you to see it. Well, yeah, hmm. yeah, yeah. Well, so, so in other words, I, what I'm trying to understand here, I think what, what <laughs> Gene and I are both wondering about is, what are these things doing? And and when you when you when you put it in when you couch it in that context, it, it's it, it's kind of like well this could be there and doing things in a way where you wouldn't see it if it wasn't pointed directly towards you, but Absolutely. but the fact that the fact that it is, uh, it is almost like a maybe I'm I'm, I'm over reading this, but it, it sounds almost like it's a clue that it wants to be seen. You know, you describe what this family saw this picnic thing. Mm-hmm. And you, you you know you have these lights moving in these weird uh, uh, sort of uh, configurations that don't seem to make much sense, but start to make a little sense if you assume for a moment that these things are wanting to be noticed. It's almost like, and, and again, I, I could be reading far more into this than what's actually there, but uh, with all of this, you start to wonder about a, a sense of c- communication. Well, don't you think, David, you've just raised a higher level point there, that other UFO events may also have been staged by whoever or whatever is responsible strictly for the purpose of being seen? Because Uh, there is no other logical reason for them to be there. I think the O'Hare sighting of uh, November 2006 falls squarely into that category. What about the sighting that you and your family had back in Venezuela? Now, you see, that one... Is an interesting uh, problem, and 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 Ted is probably not aware of that, but everybody who listens to the Paracast knows that in in, in the summer of '74, my brother, my, my 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 parents, myself, and God knows how many other people is it was probably thousands of other people saw a huge cigar craft hovering over Caracas, watched a portal in the bottom open up, watched three discs emerge from this thing position themselves in a triangulation formation around this craft and the whole thing blinked out but what i'll tell you there gene and ted is that i don't think in that sense that this thing wanted to be seen Uh, my perception at the time was that this thing was having a problem and it was not able to cloak itself and it's my perception i certainly don't know this so i'm just throwing it out there that the three discs came out created a triangulation around this thing, essentially to, and and again, I'm not claiming this is what happened, but my guess, what I think I said on the episode was that I felt the thing had not left, that it was still there, except it was rendered invisible. And that the three craft had come out to essentially bend light around it so that it couldn't be seen. I I get the sense that this thing was having a problem of some sort, or was trying to do something that had to have it at a low altitude. These very large cigar craft are not often seen at a relatively low altitude. They're usually seen fairly high up. This thing was relatively low. And that the craft came out of it, and that we were watching all this, I don't have the sense that this was a display. I have a sense that this was an unforeseen circumstance and that it really didn't want to be there. Okay, so in the situation like that, David, the... UFOs have the ability to hide themselves when they want to be hidden, assuming the equipment built by the lowest bidder, of course. No, I, I assume that anything yeah. that can move at the speeds that these things move at sure. can certainly uh, mess around with light in a way that uh, would you know, make it render its invisibility, from, from their point of view, a trivial process. Yeah, I, I don't get the sense. Well, now, I now, said the lowest bidder just to be silly because we're about to break no, for the hour break, right. and we're talking to... 
Ted Phillips. We focused a lot on the Marley Woods incidents, of which there are many, and it's not a place you're going to visit because the location is being kept secret. Although, you know, maybe some people will find it, but we're not helping, and Ted doesn't want to upset the people who live there. He's also involved with the Center for Physical Trace Research at ufophysical.com. We have the link for that at the Paracast site. Ted Phillips returns with us on the Paracast on the other side of the hour. Welcome back to the Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Vietti. Ted Phillips, the UFO trace expert of the planet, involved the Center for Physical Trace Research, established since 1998, now over 11 years, and he's been investigating, he and his crew, the Marley Woods incident from someplace in the United States that we're not going to reveal. And if you ask us, we're still not going to reveal it because the people there don't want to be annoyed. They apparently don't want to become another Roswell, New Mexico. And we certainly see what happened to Angela Joner, the newspaper reporter in Stephenville, Texas, when she got you know, caught up in that particular case. There's an important thing here to, to mention about Ted Gene. And it's interesting, Ted, because a lot of people who are interested in this topic, who have gotten interested in it the last, let's say, five, six, seven, even ten years, they've never heard your name. And I think it's important to mention that as far as the Center for Physical Trace Research, while it was uh, officially established in 1998, You've actually been involved in this field gathering physical evidence for a lot longer than that. And I just yeah. want to start this second hour by saying how much I know. I personally deeply respect what, what you've been doing because you're someone who is as about as far from an armchair expert as you can get. I mean, you're out in the field doing real reconnaissance work. And, and I think we want to pay tribute to that because in a field that is, is polluted by people, who have no understanding, no history, no verifiable background. You, sir, are uh, gold-plated. You're in there, and you are doing hard work. You, Your credentials, from where I can see them, are pretty darn solid. Your agenda is a, is a, is a very productive and, uh, I think, very reasonable one. Uh, and, and, you know, sometimes we get taken to task for treating our guests too harshly. Sometimes we're accused of treating our guests a little too harshly. Sometimes we're accused of maybe uh, treating some of our guests with kid gloves. But in your case, Ted, I just want to say that in, in educating myself about your background and the work you've done, I don't see any equivalent to you. And I think it's, it's sad that uh, the Paracast is one of the only shows that you can hear about your experiences. And I think that that says a lot about the media that other people are doing in this field because I can go to your website and I can see a, a good amount of evidence. There's some videos up there of these uh, lights showing up above the field, and you hear the animals making these wild sounds when these things come on. You know, you're not just throwing things out as your opinion. You're, you're coming up with hard evidence. And I think uh, kudos to you, sir, for doing that and for, for having the integrity of not being someone who's looking to sensationalize this. That's the exact opposite of what you're doing. You're being very careful and very uh, very proper about this. And I just want to, before we get into the second hour, just, just say that to you in front of our audience, in front of Gene. I think that uh, you deserve 
a tremendous amount of support. And, and, you know, I find it frustrating to see someone like yourself with integrity, doing real work, having a hard time uh, making this work financially. I just want you to know that uh, I think Gene and I strongly believe in what you're doing and anything that we can do to help you. Is, is not only our pleasure, but I think it's our duty to do that. It's unfortunate, I think, also that so many people who do get recognition in the field, and there are a lot of good ones we've had on the show, but there's some people who are armchair researchers. You're out there in the field. You're getting your hands dirty. You're going to do on-site investigations, and that can certainly try one's patience and certainly destroy your financial picture and your financial future for a long, long time. So do you do this all by donations to the site? How do you cover the costs? Yes, that unfortunately is uh, is all we have, which is, uh, you know, it's not bad. Uh, and I want to thank you guys for those very, very nice words. I appreciate it. Uh, but I had uh, had the best guy pushing me forward that, uh, that you could possibly have in Alan Hynek. And so uh, that... Anything I do is based on what would Alan do, and uh, so. But uh, yeah, we uh, we have to rely on donations. Unfortunately, everything is getting <laughs> guess what more expensive, and guess what? There's less and less money flying around, and uh, yeah, our our situation with the website uh, is because suddenly, since we're getting a number of hits. Um, uh, we need to go into the direct server mode, which costs a hundred bucks a month, and uh, either that or being shut down. And I've wanted absolutely uh, to stay away from a subscription sort of situation, and that way, folks, by whatever means they have, can send us a dollar or five thousand. And, uh, uh, but they'll be able to access, and they don't even have to send the dollar to access the material, the data that's on there, which is my primary interest to get the data out to the people. And, uh, so they could be a little more educated on what is going on. Very few people realize how much of this activity there is on a daily basis. Back in the 70s, for example, had they known in 1973, and it got a lot of coverage, but uh, had the average citizen known how many landings with little guys and all kinds of things were going on nightly, daily, there might well have been a little bit of panic on the part of some people. And uh, so an educated public uh, is going to be a lot less likely to panic and, of course, we want more data. The more data we have, the more reports people send us, the better we can understand what we're trying to look at right now. As you guys were talking last hour about the uh, the situation with the light from these things mm-hmm. uh, being perhaps directional, and uh, you made the comment, messing with the light, and that's <laughs> that's exactly what, I'm beginning to believe is going on. I'm beginning to think more and more that this invisibility, visibility, and in-between is more of a matter of frequency than anything else. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, that's being uh, acclaimed now by even some scientists. 
of how we can, uh, for example, using uh, an electromagnetic field, microwave-type energy, make something invisible. They're actually uh, very deep into playing with that right now and uh, bending light around something. So who knows? You know, ten years from now, five years from now, this stuff may not sound nearly as weird as it sounds today. And uh, can, I'm a good example because ten years ago, I wouldn't have, uh, probably wouldn't have even investigated this stuff unless there was physical evidence. And uh, now I, I take a totally different approach. I'm still the guy that's on the fence, and I'm not jumping either way uh, until there's enough uh, evidence to indicate that it is this way or that way. So the light balls are kind of the love of my life right now because <laughs> by getting, by being lucky and being in the, and I've looked at this statistically in every way I can to find any kind of pattern that might put us right in the middle of a nest of these things where we could get good, close visual and video, or I should say more, uh, because you always need more. It's like my wife says about my antique camera collection, how many old cameras do you need? <laughs> well, in the case of light balls, you need as many as you can get. So it's fascinating, and I've got to tell you, of all the stuff that I've done, and I've, I have been blessed in doing a lot of uh, tremendously interesting stuff, Marley Woods is absolutely the best single area of evidence that I've ever encountered. It keeps going on. That's the important part. Ongoing. Now, John Keel used to write about window areas, specific mm -hmm. locations that would attract UFO and or paranormal activity. And yes. are we assuming here that Marley Woods might be one of these areas? And if that's the case, how many other areas around the world are we seeing? I think, I think probably if governments would encourage their folks to report events, no matter how silly, how goofy they might sound or appear, uh, to a uh, government entity, and then, and I, of course, don't see any of this happening, uh, those countries would uh, send that information, pass it along into a central database. I think that there would be numbers, I don't know how high, of areas like Marley. And uh, it's just the fact that it... Uh, some of them uh, may be occurring in areas where the people just flat don't want to even talk to their uh, family about it. And I've had cases like that where witnesses didn't even want to tell their parents. And, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's an experience you have to have to understand, seeing a UFO. And especially if it's a, uh, a very high strangeness event. Mm. And, uh, you know, it's that practically once-in-a-lifetime thing, and a lot of people have problems processing it. For example, again, at Marley, there is an area which over the past 10 years have been quite a number of cattle mutilations. And, uh, I mean, these are, I've never been too interested in the mutilation end of this stuff. I've uh, seen a lot of photos, I've talked to a lot of researchers, but these cases have really grabbed me uh, because of the property owner and uh, his credibility and his reluctance to deal with it. This stuff is ongoing. 
we had uh, several events last year uh, on his ranch, including uh, cattle and deer, and in one case, a large buck. And we're talking about surgical-type precision removals of uh, organs or flesh or a head or whatever. And in addition to uh, the removal of uh, the head or the organs, so on, uh, there was found in many of these cases on this particular ranch, uh, within five or ten feet of the, uh, of the animal, a scorched ten foot circular ring. Huh. Um, and, uh, that's physical evidence. And this, these areas were not scorched and burned by, uh, fire but by some kind of very concentrated uh, high-temperature heat and uh, no accelerants or anything like that. And uh, in some of those areas, uh, very green grass and fescue uh, that would be hard to ignite without some kind of accelerant. But uh, that all shows up in analysis. You can't just go out and burn a ring and fool someone, you know, if, if they're willing to take the time to study it. So you've got those in conjunction with these events. There was a series of additional uh, animal events through the summer and fall this last year. And um, one of the most impressive uh, events, and what I'm coming to is the fact that this, this rancher, who had, I have tremendous respect for, cannot bring himself to processing or dealing with what's going on, because it's out of his control. And this is a guy for many years that uh, is taking care of himself, his family, his ranch. And uh, a couple of weeks ago, he finally, he told me, he said, Dad, please, anything I've got to do to help you, find out what this is and stop it. <laughs> and uh, hmm. I didn't promise that. Hi, this is Bill Burns from UFO Magazine and UFO Hunters. You know, there are several ways that you can get UFO, UFO Magazine. Magazine. Yeah, we know, Bill. We know, we know, we know. Just shut up. Just give us one way. Don't tell us you're psychic and, you know, give 8,000 phone numbers and take 15 minutes of our time where we just want to hear the show. Just tell us how we can get UFO Magazine in one way. Okay, okay. Just go to www.ufomag.com. Subscribe online. You happy? Yeah, was that so hard? Actually, harder than you know. Ray Perkins, a reclusive veteran burned out from the Gulf War, lives tortured by relentless, perplexing nightmares. Nightmares of a horrific battle in deep space and of a mysterious woman suffering in agony for her devastated world. A woman not yet born, calling across centuries to him. Then, a coincidence leads him to his destiny, his chance to alter the universe. Attack of the Rockoids. The former fiction editor for Star Wars and Indiana Jones, Robert Simpson, writes, The soul of the novel Attack of the Rockoids lies in its heart and passion for building a convincing tale of a love that spans a galaxy. A thrilling story. Attack of the Rockoids is available now. Read a sample chapter and get a special discount off of the cover price at our website, rockoids.com. That's R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S dot com. Attack. Attack. Of the Rockwell, a novel in the grand science fiction tradition. 
This is Leslie Kane, and I'm with the Coalition for Freedom of Information, and you are listening to the Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Biedney. We're talking to Ted Phillips, one of our favorite UFO researchers, because he gets his hands dirty. And right now we're talking about this farmer who yeah, wishes it would stop. And I think a lot of people who get up close and personal to these kinds of events feel the same way. Has anyone else said, hey, for heaven's sake, we've had enough of this stuff? Yeah, to a certain extent. Now, a lot of the other witnesses who are a little more, well, they're not in the uh, the areas of uh, sort of drastic events. They view it as something really cool to see. And the more you see, the more you want to see. And uh, so they keep watching, and they're great uh, to to let us know when an event happens. And uh, but I I wanted I wanted to relate just just one more uh, animal event on this particular ranch that really should bring home uh, the problem this man has in dealing with it, and that was his prize horse, a very valuable animal, and he drives up. This is a gated ranch. And locked, and he drives up to the corral. The horse is in the corral as normal, and um, a beautiful day, no storms, nothing. And so he gets back in the pickup and he drives off to another part of the ranch. Fifteen minutes later, he comes back, and no horse. And one section of this tubular steel corral has been destroyed. And he looks around, and he notices an old wooden barn some distance up from the corral, and the two large, heavy wooden front doors are just destroyed and pushed in. And so he walks up there, and he walks in, and he finds his horse. The horse now is a uh, mess of blood, body parts, skin, All over, all four walls of this barn. And he said it looked like the horse had just exploded. All that in 15 minutes. So you can imagine what this guy is starting to go through. And we were down there uh, and uh, on Saturday night, Monday night, and Tuesday night, just before we were down there, uh, his cattle broke through fences and the tubular steel corral, knocked down two steel gates, and he has an uh, enormous steer, one of the guys with like 100-foot horns, and uh, that steer takes care of the herd. He protects it, he guides it, they don't do anything without him, and uh, the owner told me, he said, you know, this guy, nothing would want to mess with this guy, and yet something happened on those three nights that panicked this huge steer into leading that herd to fences, corral, gates. So we're going back and uh, we're setting up cameras, video cameras all around this corral area and uh, some other areas over on the ranch in hopes of, uh, of getting some, some video of what's going on. Hmm. So it's, it's a bizarre situation. Okay, during this 15-minute interval when this animal disappeared and it was found to have virtually blown up, did mm-hmm. the rancher hear anything, see anything that would indicate something weird was going on? No, absolutely not. Had he had he heard or seen anything, he would have been immediately back up there 
because of all his animals, this horse was his uh, his favorite. So this was all done and, in virtual silence, then. Yes. <sighs> yes. Now, um, now this is distinctly different when you talk about cattle mutilations, where you've got. And I, I was want to ask you about that before, Ted, where you have on in the same rancher's ranch, you mm-hmm. have uh, cows that have had body parts surgically removed. Uh, do we assume then? And you didn't mention it, but were the sort of like where they remove stuff were those areas showing that typical cauterization that uh, or, or lack of bleeding well it's interesting uh, and I didn't mention that that uh, in all of the uh, mutilated cattle events and some of them he thinks he was there pretty quickly after whatever it was happened mm-hmm. and there was no blood on the animal no blood on the ground and uh, which brings me to something I think you'll find of interest. On this ranch, uh, on the 4th of September, this owner was uh, out checking fields, and he looked down into uh, one of the northwest fields, and he saw what appeared to be at first two extremely large white dogs, and they were casually walking uh, about 200 feet from his herd, and... Uh, he said, these things would weigh, I guarantee you, way over 200 pounds. He said, I've never seen a dog like that. And uh, so he grabbed a rifle, high-powered rifle, out of his pickup, thinking that they might attack the cows. And he shot one in its shoulder. And to quote him, he said, I made it red. In other words, a lot of bleeding. And yet, it didn't jump. It didn't yelp. The other one didn't jump, didn't yelp. They had no response to the gunshot and what should have been an impact. They continued walking off into the trees. Well, he went down and he checked. There was no blood where he had shot this thing. So uh, on the 18th of September, uh, an adjacent ranch owned by his one of his daughters, she saw two very large white animals on her property and uh, they didn't either one have any wounds any blood they seemed perfectly normal and walking along at a nice slow pace so uh, over on site uh, site one which is 3,000 feet from this area the property owner's caretaker found clumps of long thick white hair on a barbed wire fence to the north of the cabin. So I went in and I, I took all those samples and no tracks, nothing. The 22nd of October, they found more at another location not far away. I got those on the 29th of October, more. And the interesting thing about uh, the October 29th stuff is the fur or hair was on the top strand of a four and a half foot high barbed wire fence and uh, a good deal of the sample the hair measured 16 full inches in length so mm. I I had uh, a friend who is uh, a leading microbiologist offered to do DNA and uh, uh, microscopic comparative tests and he really got quite interested in it when they got the hair one of the hair samples the six, some of the 16 inch stuff um, the whole lab got into it because it was totally weird. 
and he sent me back the official report, and then he uh, sent me a report uh, unofficially to kind of get around some of the clips and so forth. And he said that uh, they could find no match for this hair. And he sent a lot of comparative microscopic images of dog hair, of white dog hair, goat, of course, cattle, uh, bear, just on down the list. And nothing is even close. This is some of the totally, I'm no expert on hair, but it is some weird stuff. It has sort of a silvery cast, and it, uh, the first thing you'd think it was a, it was a snake skin. So that's kind of where we're at uh, on that deal. And on the 11th of December, last December, a gentleman of way more than excellent reputation who had heard nothing about these white animal reports, a uh, short distance south, saw a huge white animal which he at first thought was an enormous dog, estimated it at way over 300 pounds. And uh, that theory about a dog went out of uh, his head quickly because it stood up on its back legs, and he said it was ever been as large as a large bear and solid white. And uh, this is the purest white stuff I've seen in here, and I've got a old English Great Pyrenees and uh, lots of white hair there and I've done a lot of microscopic stuff with it and the unknown and uh, totally nothing alike whatsoever. Now now trying to get some money to get some of the, uh, the higher resolution trail cameras and set them up because from the, the finding of uh, seven samples of the hair on site one the thing or things are moving in a sort of elongated circular pattern around a field uh, north of the cabin, which I guess by coincidence uh, has presented us with a huge number of light ball cases. So we gave the caretaker a camera to carry with, me, with him as he makes the rounds because what we need is a good photograph of this thing. So an, an interesting note, Ted. Uh... Our friend Scott Corrales from uh, the uh, Inexplicata Journal of Hispanic uh, Ufology had uh, sent us a news piece, because he knows I grew up in Venezuela. He had sent us a news piece about a week ago about a luminous feline uh, creature seen in northern Venezuela. In, uh, and, and the reason I'm bringing this up now is that it's a, this thing, uh, so according to the witness, the being, which stood at approximately two or three meters tall, was brilliant white and transparent like a hologram. And it, it talked about how this thing ran over the surface of water and was just sort of like running on top of the water. And it's a, that's a very strange case. But, I think uh, we, put that, we put that in the unusual category. Uh, yeah, Lucius Ferry sent me that very uh, report. Saw this, sorry. And that's, I, of course, now I currently am very interested in, in any sightings of large white animals.
Hi, this is Roger with eFoodsDirect.com, and I just wanted to welcome everyone from the Paracast Show. Hi to Gene and David and everybody out there. Listen, we're here to sponsor this radio show because we really like what Gene and what Dave are doing, and we'd like you to help us support them. Now, we are a long-term storable food company. However, the foods that we produce are low-moisture foods. They're very, very high quality, and you can live on them every day. You can literally cut your grocery bill in half or more than half, maybe as much as 60%, by buying bulk foods from eFoodsDirect.com. But right now, a recession slash depression is on the way. We're advising people to sell the toys in the garage, hawk off the old jewelry you don't use, pour the money into food supplies before it's too late. I'm telling you, it could be too late. We also can provide water filtration, other needs. Call eFoodsDirect.com and let us continue to support Gene and David here. 800-715-4380, 800-715-4380, or go to eFoodsDirect.com. That's eFoodsDirect.com, 1-800-715-4380. You're in the Paracast with James Spangler and David Bianchi. You never know what's going to happen next. We're talking to Ted Phillips. And he is associated with the Center for Physical Trace Research at UFOphysical.com. We've been talking about all the strange incidents, not just UFOs, but lots of other stuff. Marley Woods, wine animals, everything else. And the question here is, before you got into this case, got involved, caught up in this case, did you ever pay much mind to strange creatures or to cattle mutilations? No, I did not. Primarily because there was, uh, in all the reports that, that I knew of, never an incident where a UFO was seen at that point. In other words, like I'm saying, seen generating a trace, seen along with any animals like that or the mutilations and uh, obviously at some point there had to be something associated with these animals they certainly didn't uh, just lose all their flesh and organs uh, many of these cases uh, in particular there was a raft of six young calves and they would find each one the mother uh, cow or whatever you would call a mother cow uh, standing still by what was left of, uh, of her calf, uh, and there would be nothing left of the calf except a skeleton, and uh, inside or out, no blood, nothing, and uh, the skeleton was not uh, distorted in any way, in perfect condition, huh. and five or ten feet away, a ten-foot scorched ring, and that happened six times in about two weeks, and... Uh, so something was there to scorch the ground. There was something there to do the foul deed, and something had to be there to do in this horse. Ted, is there photographic evidence of like what you just described? Of the uh, animals, the, the cattle and yeah, yeah. And so on. yeah, yeah. We went back and we uh, to this barn, and uh, uh, the problem is. Uh, again, and it's hard for me to, to to get this over. He had not told me about the horse thing for uh, it had happened about two years 